Thank you so much for this day. It's a beautiful day, cold day, but it's warm in our heart and it's warm in here. And you provided this place. You're amazing how you do that. And we fall down in our hearts and we worship you. We give glory to you alone. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That we receive glory and honor and praise. We thank you for your Son, the crucified one who paid the price for our sin and through the resurrection declared Son of God with power. Thank you so much for the sweet gift of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and the paraclete, the comforter, our instructor, the one who caused us to be born again. In fact, if we are this morning, it's the Spirit of God who quickened us, according to John 3. We thank you for that. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would open the Word of God and teach us. It is uh, our more sure word of prophecy. Teach us, Lord of your wonders, of your greatness, your glory, your power. Remind us of life in a fallen world and grow us in wisdom. We need that. Just making good choices, Lord, and dealing with a world that is lost and uh, crazed with sin and bound toward death. And yet, here we are with a short uh, uh, period of time called the days of our life. I pray, Father, that you might encourage us and instruct us and teach us and uh, feed us, Lord. We need to feed our faith through the Word of God and so grow us to be strong, Lord, and uh, in the Lord and in the power of your might for your glory. <coughs> Help us to see the last day of our life and live with an eye on that. That will certainly help us to make far better choices today. And so on. So may, may, may that be our, 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 our outlook, Lord, as we go forward. And may, Lord, you use us this week to be a blessing, each one of us, to at least one other person, that they, we would be Christ to them, that they would see the Lord in us as we scatter into your mission field, this our area here. And so we pray for that. And just ask, Lord, that you would allow us as a church greater influence in our community, in our state, throughout the world. Our missionaries, we thank you, Lord, for the largest. I ask your blessing on their wonderful work. And we pray for them, the ABWE mission. And thank you for that, Lord. And let's open the word now. Teach us, Lord. We love you so. Open the hearts of any this morning that are here and never been saved. Pray for that, Lord. Thank you so much. And we do remember Maggie, as Greg has just mentioned, pray that you give quick, quick healing to her father. We love her and miss her, and it's always better when she's here with Greg. Christ name. Amen. Amen. Take, uh, take your Bible if it's uh, if you closed it, and I invite you to turn to the Psalm David uh, Dave read, Psalm 19. Uh, I've entitled the message, The Big Book, um, as we have the joy of looking at God's wonderful, wonderful word. Imagine, uh, imagine if you would, how wonderful it would be uh, to hear God's uh, actual voice with our own ears. I mean, uh, think about that. The God in heaven speaks. I, I, I don't know what language you think it'll be. Maybe some of you struggled learning Spanish, you know, scooching and repeating in the lab, right? Listen and repeat. That, I got that phrase down very well. You know, scooching and repeating, right? Or German, or Guten Tag, or French, or something like, oh man, I hope God doesn't speak that. If he speaks that, do I have to learn it? You know, some think it was Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, or a form of it, 
that that's what Adam in the garden uh, initially spoke, and then that Babel, everything uh, divided because of the rebellion in our hearts. Uh, God separated people by language groups, and it's, uh, it, it does separate people. Have you ever noticed that? Can't communicate. You know, it got, does isolate, and uh, that's exactly what happened. But one day, God uh, is going to speak, and one day, you and I will stand in his presence, have on your sheet, and you're going to hear him call you by name. I mean, syntax and grammar. Uh, uh, he's a personal God. We're made in his image. We're finite. He's infinite. But he's personal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he will speak your name. That's quite a thought. I don't know what that does for you, but it, it, it ought to cause you to stand up a little straighter. <laughs> I used to get my name called a lot at home. I could tell if I was in deep trouble, you know, just by, you know, in a group of guys in the neighborhood. I don't know why the, the juvenile detective was yelling my name out. Right? <laughs> There are like eight guys here, but he's yelling Terry. You know, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> but um, not, not so much that, but in the scriptures, we see it, right? I mean, there's a number that are, are called by name. I mean, God, you, you, we've God knows your name. He knows your name. Adam, he fellowshiped with him in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, right? He named him Adam. And then Adam or Eve we, in English. And Noah, God spoke to Noah. And Samuel, 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 Samuel. Remember that, the boy? Thought it was Eli, the old man speaking. It was, uh, it was the Lord's calling him by name. And the Lord uh, called Saul, Saul, Saul. Why do you kick against the pricks? Acts 9, he calls us by name. You know, the, uh, Dale Carnegie, I learned in business years ago, the most precious sound in any language is a person's name. The name, it's... Uh, it's, uh, that's, the, that's the thing they respond to, that hate you, you know. We said that and growing up, and we said a few times you get soap in your mouth. I don't think you do that anymore. But you say, mister, and you call them by name. That's the way I was raised. And the name, the name is so sweet, right? God's going to call you by name. Well, today, uh, <clears throat> God speaks. And if you've never read Francis Schaeffer's book, and I have it, he is there and he's not silent. That's one of his 22 books. You should buy that and read that. He is there and he is not silent. He's speaking. Great text. God speaks and reveals himself uh, and his will through two means. One is uh, called general revelation. Revelation simply means God uh, reveals things that we would not otherwise know. For example, just so you think with a little clarity, you know, this is God's revealed will. It's the inspired Holy Word of God. We believe we have an inerrant copy of it in the vernacular in English. God preserves his word. Not one jot or tittle will pass away. They'll have an earth pass away. Jesus said that. And uh, the word of our God stands, right? It is God's revealed word. But not all of it is revelation, is it? It contains what God has given. It reveals to us what we would not otherwise know, right? Well, there's some things there when God was using the writer, they, they knew it was it was on Thursday. Hezekiah did this and that. But in the midst of that, God controlled it and he revealed himself and salvation. Okay, so I don't know if that really confused you, but it's all the very breath of God, but some of it was a common known knowledge. Think of Nehemiah. It was in a certain year that he went before the king. That God didn't have to reveal that. That was simply a statement of fact in God's wonderful word. But in that, he reveals himself 
in the words of Scripture, 66 uh, books, <clears throat> 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, God has revealed himself in his will. Now, the revelation really is found in two volumes, a general revelation, and the other is a specific, or sometimes called special. Through these two means, I have understood, God tells us about himself, he tells us about us, who are we, I mean, the big issues of life, who, who am I, what am I doing here, what am I supposed to be doing, where am I going, the big questions of life. What went wrong? I had a sermon on that. What in the world went wrong? We live in this world with a sense like, this is weird. This upside down. What went wrong? And it emphasized Genesis 3. It's not the world that God originally made. It was put on tilt in the day that we love. You will die indeed. And it even affected the creation. The creation, Romans 8, groans and waits until the final day of redemption. How about that? We can't wait. That's what went wrong. It's, it's the word of God that God reveals to us and our need uh, for salvation. So Peter tells us in 2 Peter uh, 1 3, uh, in that uh, specific, special uh, re revealing, that, uh, that God, by speaking through that one, has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything. Now, would we want to know a whole lot more? Yeah, there, I, I'd like to fill in some gaps, right? And someday God will fill in the gaps. But he said, look, uh, just major on this, and it's everything you need. You don't need, uh, need is the key word. Need, you ever see that with, I, I need a toy? <laughs> no, you don't need a toy, you need air, you need water. <laughs> and sometimes big guy kids do that, I need a truck. Oh, you do? You need, yes, I need a truck. <laughs> a truck, are you guys gotta have a truck? Truck. Some of you are like swarming now. <laughs> I never saw, but, but we don't need those things. God has given us everything we need, what, for life, uh, and meaning life here and now, eternal life through Jesus, and godliness, godlikeness. God is our sanctification. Is everything is given to us here? Well, this morning uh, you are invited to listen to David's words in the Psalm 19, where he tells in his song about God's voice in creation. That's the big book. That's the title of the message. I borrow it from my my dear mentor and my dearly admired pastor team, Jim Boyce. We wrote uh, Psalm 19, the big book and the little book. And we're going to look at the big book, the first six verses of David's psalm as, he, as we look for and listen for God's voice at the beginning of this year with temperatures in the 20s. Where's Al Gore when you need them? And uh, we're going to look at creation and say, wow, do you hear the voice of God? Can you hear what God is saying? And so let's examine this big book, volume one of two volumes, and listen to God's voice in creation. Well, there are three observations, Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6, of God's voice heard in creation, and, uh, and they ought to move us, each one of these, to worshiping only him. He is not the creation. It is, this, it is the object of what he has made. We're not pantheists. We're not Buddhists. They're pantheists. All is good, all is evil. There's no difference. Sorry, that, that doesn't work out in the real world that God made. Did you know that? Hinduism, there's it's a one world, one God. God is impersonal. He's not a person. He's a force. I'm sorry, that's a perversion too. And uh, there's no right or wrong in this oneness. You, know, you could kill somebody or help someone across the street. It's one and the same. Well, that's nonsense. 
in, in every dimension that we would think of in the real world that God made. Uh, he, uh, he has made this world, and it, it tells us a message, and, it, and we're going to see the depth of what it tells us, and it ought to move us to worship. My old professor used to say we need to worship God in at least three ways. We bow before him as creator, and that's right and proper. Romans 1, Lord, thou art my creator. You've made this day. Praise the Lord for it. Second, we worship him as our redeemer. Not only did he make it all and us, but he purchased us with his own blood. So, you know, Lord, thank you for saving me, being the atoning sacrifice for my sin that satisfied the holy just demands of God's law and through the love of God, through the person of his own son. And the third way is we are three times to worship because we're three times this. He is making us preparing us for heaven. We're not what we were, thank God for that. But we're not what we're going to be. You're going to look a whole lot better. And God is developing and working in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. And bit by bit by bit from the inside out, you're becoming more like Christ. He's getting you ready downhill here for up there with him in heaven. And so worshiping him. God is speaking to us. He's speaking to all who will listen. And the message is really impossible to miss. So much so that we'll take a glance at Romans 1. That in God's own word, it is a plain message, and all see it, and they have to suppress it by their sin to not hear it. They just pile on sin so they don't have to hear the message of, uh, of God, his greatness, his glory, and his presence through the creation. God says it's plain to all. It's plain. I don't know if, uh, if uh, in your studies there were some studies that were plainer than others, some I still didn't get, and somebody like, I don't know what in the world that was about, that class. I really don't know. I just studied for the exam. I don't even know what I put down. That was not plain to me. God says in the creation, he is speaking, and it's overwhelming in his speech, and it's plain. God says it, and he's the final evaluator. It is plain for all. They all see it, everybody. They have to hold down and suppress the knowledge, like stuffing their ears. I don't want to hear it. That's what he says about this, this the big book. Well, the first observation is that uh, it, the shout of God's voice in creation, it's a shout. God is shouting with loudness. It's not a whisper. In uh, verse 1, the heavens declare what? Glory to God. That's the way it is in the Hebrew. The heavens Declare. It's present tense continuous. It's not just during the night. It's not just during the day. It's 24 hours. The heavens, you might say, are, put the cognitive in there, are declaring what? Glory to God. Glory to God. Like a great neon light. Don't see those too much anymore, but they're sort of annoying, flashing on and off. Glory to God. Every single thing in this is God's voice shouting. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And to miss it, uh, to miss that, and to reject it, and to stuff your ears would be like a blind man or woman going to a museum to see some of the great masterpieces. And he's being led through there blind. He says, I don't see anything. I don't see Whistler's mother. I don't see the Rembrandts. I don't see the Leonardo. I don't see them. 
or taking a, a deaf person to hear some of the great orchestrations of music and symphonies and, and the beautiful concert. I don't hear a thing. Where is it? I don't hear it. That's the akin of the I can't see, I don't hear, it's like the living dead in their sin rejecting this voice of God in creation because God is shouting. Now, I remind you that the context of this, we don't know it, but we know that David was a shepherd boy, spent many nights gazing at the stars as he tended the sheep. Now, they didn't go home at five. Hey, that the whistle, I'm going home. They were the low and low. You know, we like romanticize shepherds. Oh, aren't they? Oh, they're just wonderful. No, they were at the bottom. They're the they're the, they're below the septic cleaner others. You know, the guys that drive around and, and drop off the Johnny on. Often think about they got to empty that stuff. We go like, boy, that must be near the near the bottom there. Or uh, Raf uh, or Jackie Gleason's friend wasn't his friend in the honeymooners. There was a, didn't he clean a sewer out? <laughs> what? Norton. Oh, yes, that's right, Norton, yeah. <laughs> clean it. I said, well, that's got to be about the bottom. That is about There's a guy I saw yesterday, Faith and I went somewhere, and it was a public basin event, and I thought, that guy is a happy guy. Like, he's a guy cleaning the urinals out. He had a headset out, and he's singing away. I'm like, wow, that, 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 that's the way it ought to be. But I go like, that's probably near, wow. It, I mean, you can't get much, you know what I'm saying? That's about, well, shepherds were like that. They lived with the sheep. They stunk. They stunk. I used to have to get a shower bath. Now, shower in those days, every Saturday, whether I liked it or not. One day a week, you're getting a shower. Uh, you're getting a bath, and then it went in the pecking order. Bless my daughters and my sisters went first because they're long hair. And then Dale got in after, and then I and I got, what's all this stuff floating around? You don't worry about it. You know, we didn't even have a hot water tank. It just ran through the boiler. It just the pipes ran through the boiler. Like, oh, it's cold already. Ah, it doesn't matter. You know, this guy, shepherds never got showers. Never, they were out there. And that's why they were like, get them out of here. They stink and they got fleas and lice and everything else. That's the but here he is, and they're out there all night. They had to tend the sheep. The wolves are looking for, you know, like they're going to Chick-fil-A to get something, or you know, they want to eat at night, right? And they're protecting the sheep and they uh, corralled them and all that. And you lay out there like a boy scout. I remember going to some of these great areas. Look at the sky. It's beautiful, the clears, oh, it's glorious. That's a, that's a, I believe the context of David speaking and going back into the to the to his memory and remembering if he wasn't on a spot. And it is a great message. And I hope that you've heard the, his marvelous voice from the skies in this as well. For David says, the heavens are declaring glory to God. Glory. And the word here, declare, means to shout. God loves it loud. He loves it loud. He's a God of passion and intensity. Not milk toast. It's kind of like, you know, loves it loud. I used to tell the kids, you know, they turn their stereos up. Don't that drive you crazy? You know, tell your parents that God loves it loud. <laughs> like, we're going to raise the roof here. Right? That's probably why I can't hear too well today. But God loves it with intensity and passion. Loud. Wow. Like a neon light. Glory to God. Glory to God. And by the heavens, the Yashim here, he meant the sun and the moon and the stars. You know, outer space, what we would say, it's declaring. It has a message. 
Glory to God, made by God. Give glory to God. It's all his. It all came from his hands. Well, the stars uh, bear witness of their creator. Uh, and the, simply the law, the cosmological argument, you know, the, the maker of something is greater than what is made, right? The maker of it. I mean, you look at an intricate Swiss watch and you go, well, that didn't come about by chance. You know, the, 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 the world that suppresses the knowledge of God just says, just get beyond the time. Don't you think this millions and trillions of years that anything's possible? You're like, no. Things are going disorder, not more specialized. You don't have to be into rocket ship making to realize that. Just experiment with your front lawn. I'm not going to cut the grass anymore. I got news for you. After about six or eight years, you're going to have like a little piece of the Amazon in your front yard, and they're probably going to put a little sign on your front door that your neighbors aren't too happy and the magistrates are threatening. You got all kinds of stuff growing there, and it's not Kentucky blue. All kinds of disorder, disarrangement, this way because of the fall. Well, uh, the universe. Uh, God has created it. It tells of him, uh, and... Uh, he is glorious. Now, each star is different from the other. You know that. Maybe you've heard that. Each star, what design? What design? What design? To talk here in a moment here, you have, they, they, they figure that what they can tell, there are 76 trillion stars in the, in, the, in the universe that they're able to even see. They took one little very small section through magnification and telescopes, and they were able to find out how many, and then they just multiplied that and did the math, and they came up with a 76, I don't even know what that is. That'd be a nice paycheck. You'd be like, I, I don't know what that is, but yeah, put that in my paycheck. You know, <laughs> All those zeros, you know, gonna need help carrying that check home, right? But here's a thought. That number is more than the grains of sand in all the beaches and in all the deserts of the, in the world. That's an enormous number, and if you don't think so, I got an experiment for you. Next time you go to the Jersey Shore or wherever you go, you know, when it's one o'clock and you're done reading your novel and you read the paper and the sun's beating down onto the under, just get a shovel and start, you know, put it in the bucket and start counting. Okay, there's uh, one, there, there's two, there's, uh, okay, I got, oh, I got about 20 in this little hand. Keep going, and maybe by dinner time, you, know, you get up there, what, maybe, if you're good or stupid, up to four or five thousand, you're just starting. You didn't even fill the bucket yet. There are more stars in the known universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches and all the deserts, not just the beach, the deserts in the whole world. Now, what kind of God creates something like that? Enormous. It's the enormity, and it's not chaos, it's not random chance. It's, it's the cosmos, it's order, it's design, it's God's faithfulness and it shouts his routine and, and seed time and harvest, day and night after knowing he promised it would never change until the end of time and God has been faithful to do that. And it shouts of that. It's amazing, it's amazing. I want to read to you, uh, I mentioned uh, this book to you before, John Piper Taste and See, some of you have that. I, I try to read it most days in, and reread it, and I read part of this to the men uh, at men's uh, fraternity one time, just to point out one of these stars, and some of you are aware of it, some of you are aware of this book, but uh, he writes of the pistol star, that's the name of it, the pistol 
star in the power of God. Uh, it's a meditation on science, sight, and divine splendor. Uh, John Piper writes, I thank God for the mind-boggling discoveries of science. It is as though a blind servant should keep bringing gorgeous jewels to the table. Not that all scientists are blind, or that any of them is totally blind. If they were, I probably would have died of polio or smallpox by now. I would not have electric light, refrigeration, word processing, a combustion engine in my car, instant news on the radio, or flights to Winnipeg, uh, uh, not to mention Mars. Scientists are not dumb and not blind entirely. But what, sh what word shall I use to describe the eye or the heart that could discover the pistol star and not worship God or even mention God? Let me catch my breath. There are two breathtaking things in the paper this morning, October 8, 1997. One is the report of the discovery of the largest star ever known. The other is the absence of God. Both of these marvels take my breath away. The article begins, try to imagine a star so big that it would fill all of the solar system within the orbit of the Earth, which is 93 million miles from the sun. A star so turbulent that its eruptions would spread a, a cloud of gases spanning four light years. That's the distance from the sun to the nearest star, which is uh, 24 trillion miles. A star so powerful that it glows with the energy of 10 million suns, making it the brightest ever observed in our galaxy, the Milky Way. Actually, a star so big and bright should be unimaginable, according to some theories of star formation. But here it is, near the center of our own Milky Way. End of the quote from the newspaper. Piper continues, Jesus loved the Psalms, and he believed them to be the word of God, and so do I, no doubt. And that is, Jesus looked into the night sky and worshiped, and quote, I look at your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, Psalm 8. But here, there's no mention of God in the report of the scientists. There's no worship. And among the theories of star formation being a Exploded by the pistol star, there's one that will stand unshakable. In fact, it's not a theory, but a revealed truth. Stars are the work of your fingers. Stars are God's finger work. This is what Jesus believed. This is true. Therefore, when I read that scientists have discovered a new star that is 10 million times, 10 million times more powerful than our sun that warms my face from 93 million miles away and holds the earth in orbit and burns, and it burns at 6,000 degrees centigrade, that's our sun, I see the fingers of God in a new way. I move to tremble and to fall on my face in silence before the greatness of God. And as I come back to some degree of composure, the absence of God in this report stuns me. Is there any other word but blindness to describe this? Jesus would say the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and the firmament declares the work of his hands. Not to see the glory of God in the pistol star is to be blind. Open your eyes and pray that God would give you eyes to see. Jesus spoke of those who hearing do not hear and seeing do not see. Pray that you would not be among that number. The cosmos exists to help you know God, its maker. The main message is, is that he is very great 
and that we are very small. We need to feel this greatness, and we need to be able to say, You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. You have done great things. O oh God, who is like you? What God is great like our God? For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Great and marvelous are your works, O oh Lord, God the Almighty. Let us then doubly, let us be doubly stunned as the telescopes bring in reports of God's greatness and stunned at the power of God and stunned at the absence of worship. Well, a little expose there on the stars. Wow. Well, the skies proclaim the work of his hands and see. That refers to our beautiful blanket called the atmosphere. If you were to go to uh, any distance away and be able to look back and see the earth, it would be the blue planet. It's beautiful and it's in the sweet spot. They call it an astrophysics where we have uh, the abundance of liquid water. You hear that in studies, they're looking for water anywhere, crystallized and whatnot. But it's the earth that God has made unique and special. And we believe that to be so, and he's made it the blue planet. 71% of the globe is covered by water. Incidentally, only 3% is fresh water. You better drink your water while you can, or have a desalinization plant near, because there's only 3%. Wow, it's beautiful. And each day is unique from the other, is it not? Every day is different. Only our God, the great artist, he's the great artist. John's a great artist, and some of you have art skills, but God is the great artist. And, and when I sometimes will be in the car with Faithy and the sun is setting, and we just take it in, and I go like, look at the beauty of that red sky at night. Say, we always say that, red sky at morning. Look at the beauty and the wonder of that. I don't worship the creation. I go, oh, God, only you can make such beauty on just a regular, ordinary day. You painted the sky, and it's beautiful. That's our God, and that's the message, and it shouts, and we're to give glory to God. Wow. The, this voice shouts of God's glory. It tells us, Romans 1, that God is really there, and he is almighty. What kind of power uh, is it that made all this stuff and holds it all together? Glory to God. And know this. Know that when we do that, God is so delighted when we take, when we delight in all that he has done. He goes, I like that. We're glorying in that. And we're delighting in all that certainly he has done. Well, the first point is, the first time, it's a shout. It's not a whisper. It's not like, hey, say that again, God, I didn't hear it. <laughs> I can't read lips. I can't, the guy's shouting. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. You can't ever get directions from somebody. It always makes me laugh. We've got to complete. This is pre-garment, uh, uh, right? Uh, we'll be driving somewhere, Uncle Harry's, and we pull off the internet. We have no idea where it is. We ask some guy. We've never seen him before, right? But he's standing there holding the basketball, playing with his kids. Over here, there. Okay. And we drive away like, yeah, like this. The guy could just be laughing away like those people think I know where it is. And I just sent him on a big <laughs> like, no, no, he said, go up here, third light, make it right, this and that, blah, You know, like, oh, the message here, God shouts, it's true, it's reliable, and it's for all of us to hear and to be delighted. Notice the second observation in verses 2 to 6, the character of God's voice in nature is utterly profound. 
It's, it's beautiful, it's melodious, he sings, if you will, he sings every day without end through all his creation. And I said, can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you hear it? It's melodious, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. God's voice, we see uh, in verse 2, is, uh, is continuous. Day after day pours out speech. Day after day, every single day since day one of creation. And, and the creation is not eternal. I mean, the existence is not. It began at a certain point. And from that day, God said, that's good. You think it was good? You better it was good. God said, that's good. That's very good. It shouted his glory. What kind of God could make such a rule? This is, what kind of God? It's the Lord our God. Day after day after day, every single day, God's voice is spoken in nature. And uh, this continuous voice gushes forth. Not a drip or a little flow. You ever have a drip at your sink? Like, oh, don't try that thing crazy. It must be one of those cheap form made and the washer went on it and now it drip, 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 drip. Now I'm going to tear that thing out, call it form, whatever, right? No, that's not it. It gushes. Now, I had a great privilege of growing up in Niagara County, New York. Niagara County, Niagara Falls, right? We connected it. You guys got to live right up there, too. And uh, there's one thing about Niagara County, growing up eight miles from the mighty Niagara Falls, the rush and the gush of the falls, the mighty cataracts, as that water would rush over uh, and fall down below to the lower Niagara, it was with a roar, a roar. In fact, that's some of the fun. How many of you have seen that? Most people have. Right? So, oh, some of you have not lived yet, right? You get, you get a few months, you can hear the roar. Uh, go, go, uh, here's a tip, go during the day, because they open the floodgates at night, Robert Moses Power Authority, and it sucks in an enormous amount of water, and it really cuts down on the volume going over, over the falls, and we'll tell you that. But go, uh, uh, go, they fill up a reservoir, then they run it down and, and, and power electric, the generators in the lower Niagara, the whole canal system underground there. So go during the day, look at it, you'll see it go on Goat Island, the roar. It makes me think of that in a small way of God's message is continuing, and it roars. It just roars forth, not a little drip here or there. It roars, it thunders, and can be heard miles away. Well, it's continuous. But more than it be, it's, uh, it's, a, it's God's voice is abundant. It's not just heard in one place, not another. It's everywhere. You know, it's someone said, did you hear what the president said today? No, I didn't hear it. I missed it. What, what did he say? You, you don't have to do it. I wasn't down in D.C. at the press conference. I didn't hear it. Everybody hears this. It's, 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 uh, it's abundant, and it's, and it's everywhere. Every part of nature testifies of, of the creator. Every part we already looked at, at, at the stars, and, and the, how about the human body? <coughs> how about... Um, How about the, uh, the human body? We talk about that a lot, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. In the, in the single cell, you know, you can take a single cell off the tip of your nose, just lop that baby off, it's so small you can't even see it. But if you were to look out under magnifying, that contains the genes for every cell in your body, the code is in there. Every single cell contains your DNA code for your whole body. And yet it contains it, yet it knows its skin at the end of the, uh, of the nose. And you're not like growing a tooth out there. You know, you'd have to see Mark and, and Taylor if you did, or you'd have, you'd have a problem. 
right? And it didn't like draw like here, like, oh, there's another eye. I guess we got Cyclops here or something. You know, it, it has all that information, but somehow, like God's design in this microscopic world of, of genetics and microbiology and all that, the code is there, the double helix, for all the cells of your body. Amazing. All the systems of our body. And your brain is far better than your Apple computer. That thing is a little tinker toy. That's if you're impressed with that. Well, it really helps you look good, but it's nothing like your brain. How about that? Your brain goes to sleep at night and it still runs everything. All right, we're taking care of business here, night shift. You know, I don't know. It's just it's just amazing. And how about how about just the petals of a flower? Don't you love time photography where they, they show it and you actually see it opening up and go, such beauty. Only God can make the colors and the beauty and and, and the Lord says, do you think that's something there? Solomon and all of us are dressed like one of that. But you, you know, think of Matthew 6, the beauty of the flowers and what God can make such details. I mean, we get overwhelmed. we got two or, two or three or eight things, right? And God has all the details of all the universe. So what kind of God is this? That's right. We just fall down and go, worship God. The message is abundant. It's overwhelming. And here it is. The closer you look at what God has done, the more amazed you will be. The more amazed you will be. And it's just the opposite of mankind. It is, isn't it? The closer you look at what we do, it's, we're in trouble. Right? Some of you are painters. Some of them think, oh, I painted the, you know, the, you live in a house long enough, you end up redecorating, repainting, what, two or three times. And some of you say, oh, that paint job looks nice. Well, there he did it. And I would go, don't look too close. Don't look too closely at that. Don't, don't lie. Because I know where the mistakes are. And if you stand back far enough, hey, eh, it's not too bad. Good color choice that they pick. Don't look real close. Or carpentry, right? <laughs> you know, like, oh, that looks good. Well, you're standing on the sidewalk and looking at the house. That's about the right distance. The closer you get, like, hmm, I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> and then, but the closer you look at what God has done, the closer, the more amazed you will be. Now, I often refer to that with a car, right? They'll make these cars, and they'll go, look at that Maserati, look at that red. But you know, you look under a magnifying glass, that has pits and, and, and little scrapes where it's gonna, that thing is gonna have trouble down the road. The closer you look at what God has done, it, it's like it opens another avenue, and another avenue, another avenue, it's like, you think that's something? Wait until you turn the corner and see this other universe of stuff within this microscope. It's overwhelming. It's gloriously great. It's incredible. I, I read something here. This is a great little book. You might want to get Unlocking the Mysteries of Creation. Uh, high school type of book, Dennis Peterson. Some of you like when I refer to that. Uh, you know the gecko? You know the gecko toes? You know, you know the gecko that's you know, advertised? Who advertised with him? Gecko. Yeah. So I find Okay. Yeah. And uh, anyway, the, according to a report uh, by, uh, by scientists in the science journal Nature called Nature. Geckos are small tropical reptiles whose ability to walk up walls and across ceilings has previously defied all attempts to explain how they could stick to any surface with no sign of any glue or suction mechanism to hold them on. A group of biologists and engineers studied the microscopic hairs on geckos' toes and found the ends of the hairs directly attached to the molecules in the walking surfaces by the Van, Van der Waals force, a type of attraction between atoms. 
The report concludes that engineering a structure like the gecko foot is beyond the limits of human technology, but scientists express the hope that the, the natural technology of the gecko foot hairs can provide biological inspiration for future designs of a remarkably effective adhesive. If understanding how to, uh, how to gecko foot hairs of how, understanding how to gecko foot hairs are beyond intelligent human engineers it is certainly beyond blind, mindless chance. The more we look into the precision engineering found in living things, the more we are reminded of the Apostle Paul's warning that human beings who study the created world are without excuse for ignoring the Creator. And another thought, I read another, another from uh, Piper on this whole thing. I just want to share this to you. The greatness of God, when you, it doesn't matter what you look at, the atom, the snowflakes, uh, and you can make a list uh, a mile long in this. Um, but uh, there was another account, the great work of God, and Job says, God makes rain. Now when you talk about the greatness of God, usually we don't say like, and God is so great, and he makes rain. You're like, what? That don't make sense. That sounds, are you okay? You know? And, but I've I got to read this to you, uh, the words of Job and Job 5, and then Piper's comment on the greatness of God and creation seen in rain. If, so, if, you, if you said to someone, my God does great unsearchable things, he does wonders without number, and they responded, really? Like what? What would you say? Job said, like rain. When I read these words in Job, Piper says, recently I felt at first, the way I did on hearing some bad poetry that went something like this. Let me suffer, let me die just to win your hand. Let me even climb a hill or walk across the land. Even? I would suffer and die to have your hand and even walk across the land. As if walking across the land were more sacrificial than dying. This sounds like a sick joke. But Job is not joking. God does great and unsearchable things, wonders <coughs> without number. He gives rain on earth. Now, in Job's mind, rain really is one of the great unsearchable wonders that God does. So when I read this a few weeks ago, I resolved not to treat it as a meaningless pop musical lyrics. I decided to have a conversation with myself, which is what I call meditation. Is rain a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water. But if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water, water has to come from another source on the field. But where does it come from? Well, the sky. The sky? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out on the fields from the sky. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 17 million gallons, which is 144 million pounds of water on one acre. That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay there if it's so heavy? Well, uh, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word. What's that mean? Well, it means that the water stops being water for a while so that it can go up and not down. Oh, I see. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. Well, what's that? The water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.0001 centimeters wide. 
wow, that's small. What about the salt? Salt, yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up millions of pounds of water from the sea, takes it out of the, takes the salt out of it, and carries the water, whatever it is, when it's not water, for 300 miles, and then dumps it, now turned into water again on the farm. Well, it doesn't dump it. Uh, if it dumped millions of pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be utterly crushed. And so the sky dribbles the millions of pounds of water down in little drops. And they have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating, and small enough to keep from crushing the wheat stalks. Well, how do all these microscopic specks of water that weigh millions of pounds get heavy enough to fall? If, that, uh, that, if that's the way to ask the question, well, it's called a coalescence. Well, what's that? It means that the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger, and when they get big enough, they fall, just like that. Well, not exactly, because they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up if there were no electric field present. What? Never mind, just take my word for it. <laughs> I think instead, I'll just take Job's word for it. I still don't see why drops ever get to the ground because if they start falling as soon as they get heavier than air, they would be too small not to evaporate on the way down. But if they wait to, to come down, what holds them up till they're big enough not to evaporate? Yes, I'm sure there's a name for that too. But I'm satisfied for now that by any name, this is a great and unsearchable thing that God has done, and I think I should just be thankful lots more than I usually am for rain. God does great things. He sends the rain. Wow! You go like, oh, it's just rain outside, don't we? Well, not only is God abundant, his voice uh, is continuous, and, and see, it's universal. It's everywhere, in every language group around the world. And Romans 1 tells us that all people everywhere have this knowledge that God is great and mighty and desire and worthy of our seeking him and worshiping him and, uh, and, and so on. The son, he goes on to talk in the latter part uh, uh, where he says <clears throat> in, in verse, uh, midway through verse four, uh, let's look at verse four, their voice goes out into all the earth, the words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber or like a strong man runs its course with joy. He uses a metaphor um, uh, here, uh, talking about a bridegroom rushing out of the tent. That's the morning, that's the sunrise. Vim and vigor and energetic. The bridegroom's gonna rush to get his bride and take her. I identified with that. There was a day when I graduated from college and a week later, I drove down to Philadelphia to get myself a wife. Been engaged far too long. And I had to keep that car in check because I was like headed to Philly from Buffalo. We're gonna we're gonna get married down there. And I remember with all the excitement, all the joy of that, of a youthful young feral man wanting to. That's the picture he says of the star. There, it's just not like a tired old guy there. I, that son looks like he's sort of tired today. No, it's filled <laughs> with zest and energy and vibrance as it races like a strong man running a race and the other man across the sky. And it's the largest object there that, that, that takes the eye when you look at the heavens and the, and the creation account at what God has done. <clears throat> it's beautiful. 
It's beautiful, and too, the sun is seen in its beauty, giving glory to God as it runs its race every single day. Nothing is hidden from the sun's heat or influence. Absolutely nothing. Well, the character is profound. The voice is with shouting, and the third observation closed. There are limitations, though, of God's voice in the creation. It's limited. I hate to say that. It's great and overwhelming as it is. It's limited. In a word, it's enough to let folks know everywhere that God is and he's mighty and he's glorious. What kind of God could decide this kind of immensity and this kind of detail that's so small and wonderful? He's glorious. It's, a, it's great enough to real, reveal the God that is and to hold all people everywhere accountable, even at the judgment. But it's not enough. It's not enough to save a man or woman. Not enough. Not enough. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so when one, one can look at the stars all day, every day, and never be saved from the penalty of sin. Never. Now, the good news is there's variations in the judgment. You know, there are none that see God. None worship him until God begins to call and draw. If you're a believer in Christ, because God called you and drew you brought you under the hearing of the gospel and God opened your blind eyes and your deaf ears and your dead heart and you said once I was blind but now I see and you worship the living God who's the God of creation and we learn great things about God but never do we hear the gospel in the voice of nature it's enough to condemn a man or woman to hell and it will uh, but not enough to save them and therefore, what creation ought to do to all people, because it's plain to them the existence and wonder and glory and greatness of God, it should cause all to seek this God, to thank him for life, and to worship him. That's what Romans 1, uh, 18 to 24 says there, that through the creation, God's power and nature is plain. Well, this volume of Revelation uh, does not tell us of God's love his grace, his goodness, his justice, and more. You look at the clouds all day and wonder and say, wow, well, you'll never know the love of God. Through that volume, volume one, the big book of creation, never wink. Never, never, never. And if you try to, you'll be utterly confused. There was a farmer one day, came home, <clears throat> uh, got off his tractor, came into the house, and he said, honey, I've, God has spoke to me today and uh, said he wants me to go sell everything and go to seminary. And the wife said, well, how, how, did, how did he speak? He said, well, I was on the, on the tractor in the fields and I looked up and the clouds are glorious and there was the formation there and it was PC. And, and God told me to preach Christ. And I said, that's what he wants me to do. And his wife was a little sharper than he was at that point and she said, Right there, right there. How do you know God wasn't telling you to plant corn? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. See, the message in creation is not the specific directive word of God. Faith comes by hearing. We're going to look at this next week, hearing the word of God. And so it has great limitations. You'll never know the great love of God found in Jesus when you look at a sunset or the great canyon or the coastline or the mountains, the Rockies. and in all of that, you'll never know of God. In fact, the message of, uh, of creation in a fallen world that's filled with death is what? It's what? What? If you limp your 
your lunch. If you limp, you're going to be eaten, right? Your lunch. That's the message of natural theology when you're trying to apply these higher qualities of the nature of God that are revealed chiefly in the person of Jesus, but to us in the, in the written book that teaches us of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can, you can look at the coastline. You can go underwater and scuba dive. You can jump out of airplanes and perish. Hopefully a parachute. <laughs> you meet God and find out, right? But you'll never know the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the depth of God's love except through the word of God. So it's, it's great, but it has indeed limitations. Well, so what? What difference should this make in your life and mine? What difference does it make? The word of God is, is application. It's applicable to our lives. Let me suggest a few things. Number one, listen to God's melodious voice in creation. Listen to it. It's beautiful. It's instructive. It points to the Lord God and shouts at his glory. Creation is not God, but is the work of his hands. Listen to the creation, sing of God's voice. Slow down and listen. Turn off some stuff and listen and watch. And we're so distracted all the time. Listen, stop, slow. But God delights when we go like, wow. You know, God loves that. He loves it. Don't we love that when our kids, when, when they respond to our kindness and generosity, go like, wow, Dad. Well, you didn't need to, you didn't have to. We go, oh, that's all right. You know, we love that. Infinitely more. We go, Lord, you are incredible. Glorious. Number two, God desires you to get the message from creation, and it's it. Piper touched on it. I'm here, I'm great, and you're not. I'm here, really. God is here, and he's outside. I'm here, I'm great. And the word great is so puny, it doesn't describe. And you are not. You're just a breath. You're passing through into eternity. Seek me. Thank me for life and the gift of life. Every day. Worship only me. Not yourself. Not stuff. Not lesser gods. Number three, there's no conflict between science and scripture. There's none. None. For God is the author of both. Jesus told us that his word will never pass away and the heavens and the earth will both pass away before his word. Listen, you can have complete confidence in his wonderful word. Complete. You need to maybe hear that again at the beginning of a new year. What's this year going to unfold? Who can say? Seems nutty. You need to pray, as you mentioned. Pray for dear folks, 1.3 million, without any lifelines to support. Hopefully that family would. But what? It seems so nutty out there. Unsure. You can have complete and utter confidence in God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, it is the word of our God. Feed your faith. Number, number four, let the creation lead you to its creator. It's Jesus. God made God the Father. He made everything through the agency of the Son. Wow. So it is our creator who gave us life on the cross at Calvary. Now, who can figure that one out? I just, that's what God told us. I go, wow, wow, wow. Oh, 
that old hymn, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Wow. And today, right now, I close with this, that Jesus is calling you to come and be saved. He's calling. He calls through my voice. He calls through his word. Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord. On the name of Jesus, he calls. And if you are not, uh, if you're not born again, if you've never been saved, God is calling you now to, to bow before him and confess your sins. Repent, receive him. Won't you do that? Don't delay. Carry that message to others. Will you come? Well, that's the big book. It's glorious. It really is. But it has a limitation, doesn't it? And next week we'll continue with Psalm 19 as we look at the second. Let's, uh, in reference to God of creation, uh, let's, uh, let's stand. We should have this, uh, this little hymn, uh, All Creatures of Our God and King. And let's sing it a cappella. Um, let's sing just a few of the stanzas. Let's, just, let's sing the first, second, and then the last. I want to sing Dear Mother Earth. And for Francis of Assisi wrote this. So, um, okay, shall, can we? All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise ye, hallelujah. Oh, brother, son with golden beam. Sister moon with silver gleam, oh praise him, oh praise ye, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Sing the fifth. All you who are a tender heart, forgiving others, take your part. so much for this wonderful psalm. May it change the way we think in all our days. 
And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, in two minutes, we'll...